Pastor Chris's podcast. Well, thank you all for uh, joining us today. We are beginning a new sermon series today. And, uh, you know, there are certain times in life when you tend to pause and ponder everything, maybe a little bit more than other times in your life. You know, it may be that when you're a senior in high school or college and you're getting ready to start a new phase of life, you start to really contemplate who you are and who you want to be and what you're going to do with your life. Or maybe it's when you are nearing the end of your life and you've spent many years, you've enjoyed many things and had many joys and regrets and you just start to look back and ponder it all. Or maybe there are other times too. Maybe it's when you become a parent for the first time and you hold your baby in your arms. And in that moment, you start to really think about life in a different way. Or maybe it's when you go through a a tragedy, you lose someone that you love, or you go through a divorce. All of these things can be times when you take a moment to pause and to consider your life, what it's all about, and what God might be saying to you, or what you might need to, to learn or think differently. God has given us all time to reflect over the past several weeks. Never in the history of the world has there been a time like this. I mean, I know we have have experienced plagues throughout the history of our world, plagues that often killed far more people than COVID-19. However, never before has the whole world all at once been so affected and been forced to pause and to do life differently as we have been doing during this time. It's a unique time in the history of our world. And this has given everyone a chance to to think about things in a way that they might not have thought about before. What insights have you gained? What concerns have you realized? What thoughts have you had? The disciples and the earliest followers of Jesus had a special time to reflect too. You know, if you know the story or if you've been following along, you know that Jesus was arrested and he was tortured and he was crucified on a cross and then they put him in a grave and they buried him. And then three days later, he rose from the grave and was alive again. And he spent 40 days with his disciples talking with them and teaching them and and celebrating with them, and and proving to them that he was alive indeed, that he was no longer dead. He was not a ghost. He was a real live person who had risen from the grave. And then after that, Jesus ascended into heaven. And then his followers were left to contemplate all of these things. What did it all mean? What was it all about? And one of the most important things that Jesus said to them before he ascended into heaven, is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And I imagine after he he had ascended to heaven, and as they were gathering together as a small group of disciples, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, they pondered these words that he left with them. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
This statement is known as the Great Commission. It is Jesus' instructions to his followers and to us, what we are supposed to do in this life. We are on a mission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now there is something for the disciples and for us to think about. The mission, though it may be grand, it may be overwhelming, the mission itself is not hard to understand. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Go and make disciples. You know, how to do that is kind of overwhelming, but we understand what we're supposed to do. But it's that second part of the statement that sometimes can be confusing if you really think about it. Go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus helped us to understand God better than anyone else who ever walked on the face of the earth. This is because Jesus is God. In Jesus, God took on human flesh. As John 1.1 says, in the beginning the Word, and, and that's a way of saying Jesus, in the beginning the Word or Jesus already existed. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus and God are the same. But wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the Son of God. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His only, His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. But somehow, also mysteriously, Jesus is God. And then who is the Holy Spirit? You see, the disciples... And the earliest followers of Jesus had a lot to think about. And very early on, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they began to teach the triune nature of God. We know that there is only one God, for that is what Jesus taught from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Christians don't worship three gods. We only worship the one true God. However, the one true God exists as a trinity. And the word trinity is never used in Scripture. But we see the trinity of God expressed throughout the pages of the Bible again and again and again. For instance, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2, The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so right there at the beginning, we see God and we see the Spirit of God. And then in John 1, speaking of the same occasion, it says, In the beginning the Word, Jesus, already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there we see that Jesus, the Son, was there with God the Father and God the Spirit in the beginning. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, something very interesting that you might miss if you didn't look closely, says, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Did you hear it? He said, then let us 
make human beings in our image. And that's in the New Living Translation, but you look in the New International Version, it says the same thing, us and our. And if you want to go all the way back to the, the King James Version, it says the same thing, us and ours. And if you go all the way back to the original Hebrew, you see that they use the, the uh, us and our as a plural form. So that it's as if God is saying, we are doing this together. How is that? Well, if there's three, it makes sense. And when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And so we see at the baptism of Jesus, there is Jesus and there is the Spirit and there is God, the tri triune person of God altogether. So there is only one God, but He is a trinity of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Still confused? That's okay. The apostles began to teach this triune nature of God as soon as the Holy Spirit filled them at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which was only 40 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. But it took them several centuries for the Christian church to work out all the details of the Trinity as a formal church doctrine that they could teach in detail. And this is the mysterious nature of an infinite God who existed since before time was in existence, who will exist for all eternity. This God who created a universe that is billions and trillions and gazillions of light years from one side to the other. I mean, it boggles the mind. How do you describe an infinite God with feeble human language? It is impossible. So it's no wonder that the Trinity is confusing so pray for me, because this is my job to preach for the next uh, two Sundays, and today makes the third. The good news is, though, that after I preach about the Trinity over the next several weeks, it will be Mother's Day, and you get to hear Kelsey Eichard preach on Mother's Day, and that will be much better and a lot uh, more fun. But today, let's look at this Trinity, and let's start by looking at God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. God is our Father. Of course, God is the Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived within her womb the Son of God. God is, and Jesus is, God's uh, only begotten Son. But in a sense, God is also our Father, for God created us. God created the human race as he, he formed Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground. God created us as individuals. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, we read this wonderful and famous verse that says, God speaking says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. So you can think of God knowing, foreknowing every person who was ever created, whoever came into life in this world. God knew you, and God formed you in your mother's womb, created you. So in that sense, God is your father, for he is your creator. And you think about something about 
God being our Father. What does a father do? A father protects and provides for their children. And God has done that for us before we even knew what He was doing. You know, I, I, I thought about this every time oh, I, I, one of my children was born. I have three kids, and each time they were born, and I held them in my arms as just a tiny little infant, all of them born around seven pounds, and, and so cute and so precious and so fragile, so fragile and so needy. I mean, it's a wonderful thing that, that God has created us um, with this instinctual desire to love and to care for and to protect our children because we need that because they can do absolutely nothing for us. As, a, as an infant, they are totally helpless and totally needy. They constantly need to be fed and comforted and cleaned and, and taken care of. They, can do, they don't even know what you're doing for them, but you do it anyway because that's what a parent does. A parent provides for and takes care of and nurtures and teaches their children, even if the child does absolutely nothing for them. And that's what God does for us. We do absolutely nothing for God, and He needs nothing from us. But even before we thought of who He was or had any care in our heart whatsoever about loving Him, He's already loving us and taking care of us because God is our Father. And as our Father, God loves us. And of course, when we think of love, we think, well, well, that means that, you know, all those happy, loving, warm and fuzzy emotions, but that's part of love, but that's not the biggest part of love. The biggest part of love sometimes is, is teaching and caring for it, and it includes disciplining us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, The Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes each one he accepts as a child. Children have to be taught. They have to be guided in the right direction. And, and a, a father that doesn't love their children abandons them and lets them do whatever they want. He doesn't discipline them. But that's not the kind of father our God the Father is. He loves us and he disciplines us and helps us to learn the way we ought to be. And God grieves for us because sometimes when he disciplines us, we don't listen. We just keep right on going our own merry way, doing whatever we want to, and we just totally ignore Him. We reject Him, and it grieves His heart because God is our Father and He loves us. And he, It hurts His heart. It breaks His heart. If you've ever had a child who disappointed you, you know something of the pain that God feels when His children turn away from Him. If you've ever had a friend who turned their back on you. You know something of the pain he feels as our father. If you've ever had a spouse that betrayed you, you know something of the pain that the father knows when we turn away from him. And yet, because God loves us, God never gives up on us. Jesus told an amazing and famous story that's known as the prodigal son. A son came to, a, a man, a father had two sons, and, and one son came to the father and said, Give me my inheritance now. Whatever you were going to give me when you died, go ahead and give it to me now. And the father gives him his inheritance. And the son goes off to a foreign land. And he spends all of his money in wild and loose living. Until it's all gone. He wastes it all. 
And he finds that he's on the brink of starvation, feeding pigs. And he wishes he could just eat the slop that the pigs are eating. That's how bad it's gotten. He finally comes to his senses and he says, I will go home to my father and I will bow low before him and I will humble myself and I will say, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. Just take me on as one of your slaves and I'll be satisfied. And so he heads off back home. But when he gets there, what does the father do? The father rushes out and embraces him and he welcomes him home and he gives him a ring to put on his finger and he puts a brand new fine robe on his back and he throws a feast for him to have a party to celebrate because the son of his, which was, who was like he had been dead, was now home and he was alive again. That's what a father does. That's what God our Father does. He never gives up on us. And He welcomes us home. And even if we're filthy and dirty and filled with disgusting things in our soul and in our life because we've turned our back on God for years and years and years, God welcomes us home and He cleans us up and He puts a brand new white robe on us and He heals us of all the scars that we've accumulated because of our wrong living. And He loves us because God is our Father. There's another thing that you might miss. God, as our Father, adopts us. You know, Jesus Christ was the only one who was a faithful son who actually lived as God's son. The rest of us died because of sin. We died and were separated from God. But God says, that's okay. I adopt you. I choose you. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Now, that's important, this idea of adoption. Because you think about it. When you have a child, when a child is born to you, it's sort of required, you are obligated to love and to care for your child. There's a biological, instinctual connection between you and your offspring. And um, all of society expects you to do right by that child. But even if all society didn't care and didn't say anything, there is a longing, there is a something built in your DNA that says you must take care of this child. It is your child. You must love it. You must care for it. You must nurture it. But somebody else's child, there's no obligation, no societal pressure whatsoever to adopt that child, to take that child as your own. Many people do that. And we laud that. We applaud it because to see someone who is willing to sacrifice their time and their resources and their love and to take someone else's child in as their own. To legally adopt them, that is amazing. It's extraordinary. Because they don't have to do that. But it's a choice that they make. And we, we see that as such a noble thing. And that is what God has done for us. God was under no obligation whatsoever to adopt us as His children because we had turned our back on Him the relationship was utterly and completely severed. But in, 
but God went to the length of coming and the person of Jesus Christ dying on the cross so that he could choose us again and adopt us again as his very own children. That's amazing. That's the amazing kind of father in heaven that we have. And God is so proud of us. Because even though we've all done things that we are ashamed of, God looks at us when we seek forgiveness and grace from God through Jesus Christ, God looks at us and He doesn't see that anymore. Instead, He sees His Son, just like Jesus Christ. And He loves us and accepts us. So when, we, when God looks at us, He says the same thing that He said to His own Son in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. When Jesus was being baptized, God said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And when God looks at you and He sees Christ in you, He says, this is my son. This is my daughter. He, she brings me great joy. And it makes me want to make Him proud. Doesn't it make you want to make Him proud too? It changes the way we live. We're no longer slaves. We are His royal children. We're princes and princesses in His kingdom. God is our Father. Have you ever known the love of a Father? No matter who you are, some of you have been so blessed to have a tremendous Father in your life. Someone that loved you so deeply and so special and sacrificed for you so much. And, and you think of your Father that was so loving and it's, it's amazing. And, and I'm so thankful that, that God was a model for your father that showed your father how to love you. But even as wonderful as your father was, it's only a glimmer of the wonderful love of God our Father. The love of our Heavenly Father is perfect in every way. He never disappoints. He never lets us down. He never abandons or forsakes us. He always does what is perfectly right for us. Even though it hurts sometimes, He does it for our own good. He is perfect love. He is perfect power. He is perfect wisdom. Now many people in this world never knew the love of a father like that. Not on earth. And some of you may struggle to relate to God the Father because you didn't have a good father here on earth. And I can understand that. But don't let that turn you off to the idea of God being your Father. Instead, let the hole that is in your heart that's there because you were missing a good Father, let that turn you toward God. Because He is the good, great, and perfect Father. And He will love you in a way that you missed from your earthly Father. But He will fill all of the holes and emptiness that were there. Because God is our Father. And you can know this. You always have had and always will have a Father that loves you. And so as we come to the close of the message today, I want to invite you to turn to God the Father today. Because He created you and He provides for you and He protects you, and He loves you, and He chooses you, 
And He wants to be proud of you. And you'll never know more joy and more fulfillment than when you turn to God the Father and give Him your whole heart. And so as we close today, I invite you to do just that. Just close your eyes and talk to your Father. You don't have to use fancy language. That's the wonderful thing about this image of God being our Father. You don't have to use any high theological language. You just talk to Him like you would talk to your dad because that's who He is to you. So turn to Him and pray to Him now. God, your Father.